welcome to Gaining to Give, the podcast where money meets meaning. I'm Josh Roche, wealth advisor, founder of the Roche Group, and your host. Every week, we'll dive into practical tips, stories, and strategies that I hope help add purpose to your finances. Thanks so much for joining me, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hey guys, welcome to episode nine of the Gaining to Give podcast. So happy that you've chosen to tune in once again. You're not sick of us yet. And we're going to talk about some really exciting things today. It's going to be an episode where we actually cover a multitude of topics. And this is sourced by you, the listeners. So super exciting. This is going to be something that we try to do on a regular basis to collect questions, scenarios, concerns, random thoughts that we'll address on this podcast. So thanks to those of you that submitted questions and things that you'd like discussed. And if you have anything else on your mind, I hope you'll send us a comment, something on our website, an email, however you can get it to us works. Carrier pigeon, whatever works for you. We'll take, we'll take all <laughs> <Exactly>. of it. <laughs> Once again, I'm Josh Roche with the Roche Group and joining me, I have Paige Adams. Hello. So let's dive right in. Paige, what's our first question? All right. First question today is, is it better to invest in a 401k or a brokerage account? Before we dive into that, can you Explain the difference again real quick. Love that. Just in case you missed our other episode where we do explain that. Oh, good call out. I was about to do that. We did talk about what is a 401k in a previous episode, maybe six or I wanna, five. I want to say it was six. I think yeah, it was I think six. It was six. six. I think it's titled about retirement savings plan. So go back and listen to that if you're not sure what a 401k is. So first check that out. But then let's also explain what a brokerage account is. A brokerage account is going to be what we refer to as a taxable account. A 401k, retirement specific, it's growing tax deferred, meaning the earnings you make inside that plan is typically not taxed until you draw the money out. Whereas a brokerage account, as you have realized gains, those become taxable that year. So things like selling a stock or a mutual fund or index fund, if you have a gain on it, become taxable interest, dividends, all those things can become taxable income to you the year you take the gain inside a brokerage account. Make sense? Gotcha. Yep. That makes sense. Great. Now to the question, is it better to invest in a 401k or a brokerage account? This is really difficult. You know, it does depend a lot on what your goals are, how much money you have in a 401k or a brokerage account, how much money this is referring to, and your goals for that money. For example, it would be better to invest in a 401k account if this money is money that I don't need or foresee needing for a long time, and it's going towards my retirement goal because it's growing tax-deferred or tax-advantaged. However, if I might need access to this money early, if this money is not meant to be tied up till retirement, if I'm not sure about this money and might want to use it, or I'm undetermined, then the answer might be it's better to invest in a brokerage account. So I think before you answer this question, you got to go back and think about what is the purpose of this money? Is this money retirement money? Is it extra that I have the ability to save for for a long, long time? Or is this money probably some money that I want to use? Then the last thing I'll say on this question is then taking a look. Are we on track for what we're putting into our retirement plan? Because it might be money that you want to use now, Mm -hmm. but maybe you shouldn't. And I know that's always never a fun topic, but... (laughs) Maybe it is money that you should be putting in your 401k that you don't want to. Right. Well, and that's kind of kind of a callback to our last episode about financial plan. Like it's really, yes. that's when the benefit really comes in of having a financial planner or someone mm. who kind of knows your goals, knows what you need, knows where you're at. Because like you were saying, I think mm. these lump sums like that are really 
individualized. Like it depends yes. on just kind of like what you need, what you're at, what your goals are, and what's reasonable for you at the time. Because one person they might be set for their retirement goals, might be fine with it. And they're like, okay, like this is good money to spend. Kind of like a yep. little looser. You can spend it now, but still invest it so it's growing. Bingo. It just kind of depends on like what you need, where you're at, all those things. Yep. So once again, check out financial planning. <laughs> okay. A little plug there. Just a small plug. Uh, the next question is, should I pay an extra mortgage payment a year to help decrease my term pay time? Great question. So, you know, a mortgage typically, you know how long a mortgage term typically runs for? Is it 30? Good. Great job, Paige. Yep. 30 years is going to be the standard <laughs> mortgage loan. That is a long time. It's more than I've been alive. Yeah. I've been alive 31. So it's basically replaying my life is if I carried a mortgage the entire time. Yeah. Wild. Crazy. So, you know, when you sign up for these mortgages, you obviously have this huge asset you purchase, a beautiful new home, but now you're on the hook to pay this for an extended period of time. You could do shorter, 10, 15, 20 years. It is going to raise your payment though. And being that it's such a large purchase, most people opt to go towards a lengthened time, 30 years. So I love the idea of paying a little bit extra. A couple ways that I do this I oftentimes just round if my mortgage payment is fifteen thirty, I'm gonna round it to pay sixteen hundred a month. One, because I'm just I like round numbers like that coming out of my account. And that extra principle does accumulate and save you time, it reduces your future interest. So most mortgage servicers have what's called an amortization calculator and would show you what the impact of X dollars a month extra towards your mortgage would do for you. Would it save you five years? Would it save you 10 years? Again, this is a super personalized question and also depends on the uh, the interest rate that you carry. Hmm. A lot of people have talked about this over the last three years. You know, when COVID happened, interest rates skyrocketed downward. And there was a lot of folks that got a new house, a new mortgage, or they refinanced an existing mortgage, and they have rates under 3%. Historically, that is extremely low. And so for somebody carrying that type of mortgage, they may choose to not make extra payments because the cost to service that debt, the interest rate is just so astronomically low Mm -hmm. versus somebody that maybe picked up a mortgage rate in the last 18 months and is carrying a higher interest rate, meaning there's going to be more interest accrued every month, may choose that as part of their strategy, they should go ahead and try to pay that off slightly earlier. So again, an individualized question, the way that I do it is, Holly and I have a mortgage, it's kind of a middle interest rate. You know, we moved after COVID and as rates were coming back up, but oftentimes sort of a rule of thumb that I'll just use for some simple math. If I have an interest rate under 4%, I'm probably going to tend to not pay extra on it. If it's 4 to 6%, then it's kind of dealer's choice. You decide whether you do or you don't. And if I'm carrying an interest rate over 6%, I think it may be a good idea to look at paying extra to extinguish that mortgage earlier. Again, a super personalized decision that does need to factor in everything else you have going on in your financial plan. But just, you know, those are the few of the simple ways that I tend to look at it. That makes sense. Really helpful. Okay, so the next one is, if I have a large lump sum of cash, what is the best way to invest it or how should I invest it? Ooh, good question. Where did we get the cash from? The cash was from gains from selling a house. Ooh, selling a house. Okay, well, if it's not going back into another house and you're going to have a lump sum sitting in your bank account, 
You're going to love this. But again, it's a super personalized <laughs> decision. There's a couple of good things that you can do with this. And I'll just kind of give you an example. Let's say that I'm selling a house and I'm going to rent for a period or I'm going to not be a homeowner for a period, but intend to get back into home ownership. And I'm going to use the majority of that cash. That's not something that I'd want to invest real aggressively because it just doesn't have enough time to grow and take on the risk that you would with investing in something like the stock market. So for that purpose, I might go stick it into a high yield savings account, a money market, a CD, some sort of short term guaranteed rate investment that I know is not going to fluctuate or part of it be missing when I go to use it or want to use it due to fluctuation. However, maybe I sold the house and I'm not using the majority of the cash for a new purchase, or this is just extra cash that I went ahead and bought a new house, but I didn't put that significant of a down payment on. So I have extra there that carries a longer term goal. And then you you identify the vehicle that fits best. If this is money you can part ways with for a long time, maybe we look at increasing our 401k contributions or putting this into an IRA Maybe it's kind of in that middle year term where maybe we have five to six years, but it's going to go into something like an education fund or it's going to fund a a new vacation home down the road. Then you might look at a blend or another consideration or product that would maybe get you a higher interest rate than a CD or money market, but would carry some fluctuation. What I definitely would not do is just let it sit in my checking account drawing 0% interest, especially today, because rates are pretty good. You can go put it into a high-yield savings account and probably get 4 to 45 to 5%. So I would not be just sitting on it. I would be making sure to do something with it. That something just depends on how much time do I have. Yeah. Makes sense? Makes a lot of sense. Might as well make your money work for you instead of just yes, sitting there. Exactly. The more time we have the more aggressive or we can pursue a higher interest rate. But in general, you know, an opportunity for higher return typically carries higher risk. And so you don't want to take on that higher risk potential if you know you're going to use the money or plan to use the money in the near term. Mm, That's really good. Okay. What about 529s? What are they? How do you use them? Yes. 529s are an education savings plan. And so this is money that you put in for your child or a dependent or uh, a nephew, a niece, you know, your parents or friends, aunts and uncles could be putting into this fund, but it is an education savings fund for someone. It actually does not have to be a minor. You could put a 529 in your name if you wanted to, but the, the amount that goes in there is to be used for qualified education expenses. The reason why somebody uses a 529 plan is because it's tax advantaged. When you put money into that 529 plan, you may receive a tax incentive. For example, Oklahoma has two different state-sponsored plans. One is called the Oklahoma Dream 529, and that's an advisor plan, meaning that I would use that with clients that want to participate in an Oklahoma 529 There's also the Oklahoma College Savings Plan, which is more of a DIY. An investor can go and open this, and they're both state-sponsored plans. And so if you're a resident in Oklahoma and have state income tax that you're paying, the dollars that you put into that 529 could reduce, potentially reduce, that income tax that you pay. 
So for folks inside a state that carries an income tax, it may be beneficial by putting money in. Maybe I'm lowering my tax burden that year. The other thing that's beneficial with a 529, regardless of the state, is the tax-deferred growth. So when money goes in there and it's invested and it starts to make money, you're not going to owe taxes on that growth. You won't earn taxes on that growth ever if you use it for qualified education expenses. You know, could include things like tuition and room board books, those types of things. And so if you feel reasonably confident that you're going to incur these expenses for education-related expenses, then a 529 could be a really good option because you might get a tax incentive putting dollars in, you're going to get that tax-deferred growth, so it's not taxable to you. It's You're not losing anything on taxes along the way. And then ultimately, when you distribute it, it comes out tax-free if it's for that qualified education expense. Some other things that you do need to be considerate of, though, you know, let's say that little Johnny, who we started this 529 for, decides that he's going to start a business and is not going to pursue any additional education after he graduates high school. So we have this 529 for little Johnny. If we pull it out and it's not for qualified education expenses, you can face a penalty and taxes on the earnings. And so you you don't necessarily want to get too significant in your funding towards the 529 plans as it's not great if you are pulling out of them for a non-education related expense. The other couple things to note, though, these plans have been expanded where now you can use this for K through 12 expenses. Oh, wow. It's not just a college savings plan. It's an education savings plan. And so let's say that I'm going to a school that costs money along the way. You could actually be using your 529 to pay for elementary and high school related expenses as well. Kind of neat, huh? That's really cool. Um, A few last things to note inside that 529 plan is typically you're going to invest it. And the strategy can be unique depending on how much time you have. If we're planning for education expenses that are 10 plus years in the future, the way that money should be invested probably looks a lot different than if I'm two years away from beginning to deplete that fund. So in general, they are typically part of an education saving strategy. You do need to be very familiar with the good and the bad of those plans. And ultimately, this is probably not a solution of put everything into a 529 and you're taken care of. It might include funding multiple accounts of which 529 should be part of the strategy. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Excellent. So hopefully that was helpful on 529s. They are very broad. There's a lot of different rules. There's a lot of different states that have different 529 plans. There's a lot of 529 plans that you could invest in. So of course, specific questions, bring it to your financial planner they'll be able to identify and give you solutions that work for you. Absolutely. Okay. Last one is what is your favorite mutual fund and index fund? Great question. So I'll just give you my favorite index fund if that's okay. Uh, Or the one that I'm using most commonly right now. Holly and I have a lot of time in front of us before we hopefully retire And so one of the ones that I use the most is QQQM. It's run by Invesco. It's called the NASDAQ 100 Index Fund. And it's primarily focused on growth or technology stocks. And again, there is higher risk in those types of investments, but also the potential for higher returns. So that's why it's one of my favorite. We have a lot of time, so we can take the good and the bad along the way. 
Oh, that's really good. And just like you were saying, it just kind of depends on where you're at and your yes. goals and how much time you have and all those things. So true. So thank you guys for joining us today for our podcast for this little Q&A. Um, like Josh said, we're excited to do more of these because the goal of this podcast is for it to be really helpful for you and beneficial for you and just answer some questions and concerns that you might have along the way. So like you said, as always, you can email us, fill out a box on our website with questions. You could messages on Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn. We'll see all of them. But as something comes to mind, feel free to shoot it our way and we'd love to answer it. Have a great week. Thanks so much for joining us today. We sure appreciate you showing up and listening to this episode and supporting us in this journey. I'd also like to thank Mike Pfeiffer for his expertise in editing this podcast and getting it live. And lastly, don't forget, the more you give, the more you gain. See you next Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in to the Gaining to Give podcast. As a reminder, there are some important disclosures in the description of this podcast for you to check out. Thanks for being here.